0: God is the only one we can, by faith, rely on to be always faithful. Instead of placing faith in our own resourcefulness, God invites us to trust in His unending resources. Welcome and thank you for joining us today for the Bread of Life. Our desire is to build you up in that faith that will trust God for everything. Now here's our Bible teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. Harvard, Yale, Princeton. The first two were started by Puritans and the last by Presbyterians. All started with a commitment to advance the gospel through education. All, long ago, forgot the pledge. It's the nature of things to decay, and that's true in society as well. Even one generation to the next can move rapidly from its foundations. But can this generational drift be stopped, and can it be reversed? Let's find out from our message today entitled, Generational Drift. God sends his messenger up from the place of where the reproach is rolled away and where victory begins to take place and he finds the people instead settling down in a place called weeping and pronounces that you've not fulfilled the commandment that I've placed in you. You've been unfaithful in your generation and I'm going to judge you. The first generation conquers the world. The second generation compromises with the world and cohabitates with it and is cowed by the world and the next generation is controlled and dominated by it. And so now we have a cyclical expression of the story of Judges over and over repeated. And it's in verse 11 through 19. It's in verse 11 through 19 of Judges chapter 2. And it's a picture of the sorry cycle of, you might say, the spiritual dark ages that takes place during the period of the Judges in the history of Israel. The people of Israel will fall into sin. They'll turn towards the gods of the people that dwell in the land. God will judge them with suffering as he raises up oppressors against them. They will call out to God for deliverance. They will experience deliverance from God. They will slide back into sin. They'll suffer again. They'll call out. They'll be delivered. They'll slide back into sin. And each cycle, they go deeper and deeper and deeper into their turn away from God deeper and deeper into their compromises and sin. And the interesting thing is, the book of Judges basically gives you a full one quarter of the time period of the history of the people of Israel in the Old Testament. One quarter of it is this cycle in the dark ages of failure. And it's not only in the book of Judges, because you'll read later on in 1 Kings and 2 Kings that that there's a whole another season of compromise that takes place within the nation. But Judges chapter 2, verse 10, and the last half of it, tells us where this breakdown from one triumphant first generation to one fully compromised generation took place. It says this, Another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which He had done for Israel. Now let's apply this to ourselves. First, let's recognize it's a historical fact. You want to go back to all the significant universities now, the liberal founts of liberal doctrines and ideas and the the founts of humanism that are spreading through our land and find out what their history is. They were all Christian institutions, solid institutions that were established for the raising up of a generation to reach the nation for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Go to Yale and go to Harvard and go to Princeton. You'll find out what was their legacy in the past. You want to go only 150 years ago, you can go to Oberlin College and find out what a great testimony they had and what it is today. You can only go 100 years and you can find institutions that rose up for this purpose as well and the changes that take place and you'll find this in denominations as well. There's a drift that takes place and we can see it in our own country. We can see it in our own land. You can probably see it, if you know it, within the own generations of your own family. If you're a third and fourth generation Christian, you know it. So, let's apply this to ourselves. Let me assume that no one here represents this lost and ignorant generation. That we know God, and we know the history of God's great work in our own lives. But let's consider that we are only one generation away from this new order of drift. And the question is, what will we do to halt this cycle of historical drift or this drift into faithlessness? What will we do so that we are not a part of and we bring a halt to this historical or generational drift that we see repeating itself over and over again in the history of God's people? And there are two things that we're going to hone in here are the two important ingredients that we must passed down from ourselves to others in order that we halt this pattern of drift. And it's this. The first one is to know God. And the second one is to know His work in our lives. And we need to not only know this in our lives, but we need to pass that knowledge down to those who come after us. To know God. And to know, they need to know that we know God, and they need to know from us God's work in our lives. Lives. These two things must be passed down as a living testament to those who follow us if generational drift is to be reversed. And so let's look at the first one. Because they come in the right order. You have to have the first one come first, and the second one has to come second. And the first one is this, a profound possession of a deep knowing of God in our lives. Please tell me that that clock is wrong. Have I been speaking for 25 minutes already? I'm going to be gone for two weeks here, so hold on, folks. If it's a problem for you, it's a sign that you're a second or third generation Christian, by the way. First generation Christians wouldn't mind if this went a little bit longer. First, there has to be a profound possession of a deep knowing of God in your life. For this to be maintained, by the way, from generation to generation, what God has to do is He has to bring a revival. He has to revive his presence through the generations. Revival is required to the people of God from generation to generation for this knowledge to take place, but it also is required if you're going to be a person who brings a testament of this from one generation to the next, your life, you're going to have to know in your own life, personal revival, an experience of God renewing his presence in your life. And revival is God making himself known to you really deeply, profoundly. And for a revival, for a renewing work of God, making himself known to us, for us to be conscious of his indwelling presence, there has to be for ourselves a state of brokenness, of profound humility, where he establishes himself to make himself known to us. Isaiah 57 15 says this, for thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in a high and holy place. Do you believe that? God, the infinite God, dwells in a high and holy place. And with him who has a contrite and humble heart or spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Another way that David says it in Psalm 51, 17 is that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. God comes and meets us in our brokenness. God comes and meets us in the place of deep and profound humility. In fact, it's the only place where God can make himself known because God will not compete with you in the pursuit of your own fulfillment and your own self-gratification. He won't. God will only come and meet in a high and holy place, in a place that is vacated by self, a place where God can be present. Now, the problem as you live in the successive generations of God's people is that you've probably heard this before. The language of our faith becomes really familiar to us. It becomes familiar to the point that it's background noise that you agree with, but it's actually not dictating the cadence of your life. It actually provides you a kind of sentimental point of reference it's nice to have it sounding out there, it's kind of pleasant, it really isn't, it isn't actually sounding out the beat of how you live your life. It's a sad truth that for pastors, kids oftentimes, they can hear and know the gospel so well that they actually can't hear it. They really don't know it. It happens. I remember reading the story of a pastor who met with a daughter of a pastor that he knew very well, and he knew that pastor was very faithful in his teaching and in his instruction in the gospel, and he spoke with his daughter, and he decided that he needed to share the gospel with her, and she was hearing it as if she'd never heard it before in her life, although she'd heard it over and over again. So you've heard the idea of brokenness and humility and contrition and the importance that it has in making a way for God to come and work in her life, and you agree with it. You say, I know that's true. And you know you also have had your periods of soul searching and sadness and you've assumed that that was all that there was to it. And maybe as a result you had your moments of inspiration and uplift and you may have thought, well, that was God's visitation in my life. But the reality is from those moments in which you were a little blue until the moments in which you were a little glad, from the moments in which you made a little prayer of, Lord, I want to give to you this, to the moments in which God did some significant thing, there's been no significant change to the regular routine of your life. For those who are looking on from one generation to the next, your life is not a clear advertisement that God has come in a powerful and significant way and that you know Him. They don't see the evidence of the broken spirit that God abides in. They don't see the evidence of a selflessness in which God is exalted and glorified. But you don't want to leave the next generation without witness that God has been known by you And God is dwelling in you. And God is abiding in you out of your humble, broken, yielded spirit. And by the way, let me just give you a way to look at this. I know we talk about being broken and being yielded and being surrendered and giving our all and making a sacrifice. I could give you too much information here, but let me just for a moment give you somewhat of a picture of an unbroken person. A person whose life is still to a large extent dominated by self. And a broken person where self has been laid aside by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's see, let's see the difference. And Now listen to it and look into your own life. An unbroken person quickly grasps the failures of others. A broken person is overwhelmed by their own spiritual need. An unbroken person tends to have a critical eye on others. They can find out all their flaws and faults and make their comments about it. A broken person esteems others as better than themselves. An unbroken person has an independent spirit of self-sufficiency. A broken person has a dependent spirit, needing God and needing God's people. An unbroken person works hard to maintain control And control their surroundings. A broken person yields control, trusting in God's sovereign hand in all their circumstances. An unbroken person is driven to prove themselves. A broken person gives up the right to be thought of as right. What does it matter? An unbroken person is self-protective and defensive. A broken person is self-denying and is at rest within themselves. I don't have anything to prove. An unbroken person claims their rights and resents it when their rights have been denied them. The broken person yields up their rights and is content that it be so. An unbroken person desires to be favored. The broken person favors others. An unbroken person wants recognition and appreciation. A broken person delights to be used, unworthy as they are. An unbroken person is easily wounded by others. A broken person has been wounded already by the Holy Spirit and is glad for it. Before Christ one day will stand, best to stand before Him now. Now He holds out the branch of healing for the broken and the bowl of cleansing for the unclean. If we can be of any help to you, go to breadoflifeboise.org or call us at 208 208- Three three 4096 We're committed to the purpose of bringing people around the world into a deeper walk with the Savior. Go to our website and consider how you can help us in that work. But until next time, may God bless you.